Welcome back, everyone, to the Rock and Ramble podcast. You're here with your host, Andrea. And Victoria. And we're super excited to be here with you for another week. We hope that you've been enjoying the podcast so far. Today, we're going to be talking about Foreigner, which is a British-American rock band formed in New York City in 1976. And I say British-American because there were six founding members. Three were British and three were American. Uh, And so we've got Mick Jones, who was like the main main man in Foreigner. Uh, He was writing most of the songs. He played guitar. He was British. Uh, we'll start with the British guys. So there's Mick Jones, Ian McDonald. Ian McDonald um, played saxophone, flute, keyboards, guitar, and Dennis Elliott, who was the drummer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then there were three Americans. You have Lou Graham. His name was actually Lou Grammatico, and <laughs> cool. he was a singer. Yeah. Uh, Al Greenwood was on keyboards, and Ed Gagliardi uh, was the bass player. Yeah. Those are the the founding members of Foreigners. So let's jump into it. Like I said, they were formed in 1976. All these guys had kind of, uh, they'd already been in bands. Some of them were more successful. Like Mick Jones had been in a pretty successful band called Spooky Tooth. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lou Graham had been in a band called Black Sheep. That was doing really well, and they were actually supposed to be going on tour with KISS, but their equipment van, the trailer that uh, had all their equipment in it, there was an accident, and it was like on Christmas Day or right around Christmas, and all their equipment was just wrecked. Everything got smashed up, and they weren't able to get replacement equipment in time, and so they had to forego that tour, and subsequently they broke up because of that. So uh, it was kind of a hard time for Lou Grammatico. He was on welfare and making about $35 a week as a janitor when Mick Jones called him to come audition for the band that he was putting together. And so Lou auditioned, and he got the gig, and they had already auditioned like close to 50 singers <laughs> mm-hmm. when they auditioned him. And so he got the gig and he, before they released their first album, that's when uh, he shortened his name from Lou Grammatico to just Lou Graham to kind of make it easier. But he kept, it. it's not like Nikki Six, how he legally mm-hmm. changed his name. He just, that's his stage name. So his, legally mm-hmm. his name always stayed Lou Grammatico. Uh, Foreigner recorded and sent out demo, demo tapes under the name Trigger at first but there was already a band gaining recognition with that name. So Mick Jones is the one that came up with Foreigner since they were half British and half American, and no matter where they went, they would be foreigners. Oh, clever. Very clever. (laughs) I do like that. That's cool. Yeah, and it's it's applicable, and I mean, it's a good band name. So uh, the band was finally signed to Atlantic Records after sending their demo tapes out everywhere and in 77 they released their debut self-titled album and the singles on that album were like feels like the first time and cold as ice and long long way from home like just knockout singles so right out of the gate they're they're hitting it big 
Their second album, Double Vision, was released in 1978, and it went platinum, and it was the only rock album to ever have two singles go platinum, which was oh. Hot-Blooded and Double Vision. Ooh. And I mean, it also, yeah. yeah, it also had Blue Morning, Blue Day, which I love that song. Do you know that one? It's like, uh, Blue Morning, Blue Day. I don't think I know that one. Yeah. You would recognize it if, if we played it, or if... You heard it. It's it's really okay. good. So around this time, it was only like a couple years into the band, but tensions had already started building because Mick Jones was trying to dictate rather than work together. Uh, we saw that same thing happening in Sticks with Dennis DeYoung. Um, he didn't want to collaborate. He just wanted to say, hey, this is my band and this is how I want it. Mm-hmm. So after... One show that they had in 1978, I guess he really laid into the drummer, Dennis Elliott, and was like, hey, man, you really suck tonight, da-da-da, and like kind of gave him the whatever. And Dennis Elliott got so mad at Mick Jones that he went to punch him, but he ended up punching the door, which had a metal plate in it, (laughs) and it broke his hand. So they had to replace him for the remainder of that tour. And so it was around that time also that Mick Jones was like, you know what? It's not really working out with Ed Gagliardi as our bass player. And so they replaced him with Rick Wills. And he was, Ed Gagliardi was pretty pissed about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's kind of like the, the gist of the band. Like Mick Jones, would, he kind of ran the show. And I guess he felt like since he kind of put everything together that it was his band. Mm-hmm. And later on we'll see that it, stays that way but it's just interesting to see like everybody kind of had to do whatever he wanted to do but in 1979 they released their third studio album which was head games and even though it included heavy hitters like dirty white boy (laughs) and head games it sold less than half of what double vision had Mm -hmm. and so like i said before mick felt like you know, the band was his and his responsibility. So he took this opportunity to refresh the band yet again. And they parted ways with saxophone and keyboards players, Ian McDonald and Al Greenwood. So now we have three of the founding members out. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, they're down to four members because they replaced Ed Gagliardi with Rick Wills. So they have Mick Jones on guitar, Lou Graham vocals, Dennis Elliott drums, and Rick Wills bass. I guess things were kind of getting hard with six guys all having input. In 1981, Foreigner released their fourth album titled Foreigner 4, or just four. And that's the one that had Jukebox Hero, Waiting for a Girl Like You, and Urgent. Mm. And so it kind of put them back on track. Foreigner 4 was the number one album for 10 weeks. And that's the album that Mick Jones said, like, really defined his vision of what he wanted the band to be. To step back from that real quick, every time I hear the intro for Waiting for a Girl Like You, Mm -hmm. do you know which one it is? Yeah. The like the synth. Well, no, no, no. I know you know the oh, song, like, yeah. but but the synth in the very intro of it always reminds me of that montage from Mulan where she's cutting her hair. Yes. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, and that's such an epic scene. Oh. I know, I know. And so I actually yeah. I went back and I listened to that intro, and then I went and listened to the Mulan one, and they're not 
I mean, they're similar, but it always reminds me. Yeah, <laughs> that's da, funny da, the da, connections da. we make, and then <laughs> and then you go back and listen to it, and you're like, mm, I don't know how I even jumped there, but like that's yeah. Like what on the Motley Crue, and when I was like, this song reminds me of Van Halen. Like I re-listened to them afterwards, like Girls, Girls, Girls in Panama, and I was like, mm, I don't know why I made that jump, but it reminds me. I have me. no idea. I don't know. Yeah. But. Well. We'll put those the links in the show notes, and you can listen to to those two parts <laughs> and <laughs> decide for yourself. But that's that's something that I always think of when I hear the the intro, and I love that song, "Waiting for a Girl Like You." I think it's such a good song. That one, that one is one that's like sung in this house. Just that main chorus uh, or that first line, because every time. <laughs> Me, me and Pedro, my husband, um, we sing that part all the time when we're like running out of patience with the kids. Um, but not like when we're angry because it's hard to accomplish that. But so we sing it so much that the kids uh, will be like, for a girl. Because me and Pedro will just be like, I've been waiting. And they finish it even when we don't. For you to put on your shoes. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, have very low patience Get these days. The car. Yeah. <laughs> I I I know we're the same. Like Craig and I will make up lyrics to songs like that. Mm-hmm. Like that apply to the kids and like how slow they are to do things. <laughs> how many times we've told them. I'll have to I'll have to do like a recording where I'll make Pedro yeah. sing it because I don't want to sing the first part. But and just <laughs> Like, you know, from behind the couch, if they don't know I'm like filming and see which one of them or if all three sing the rest, because it's funny. Please do that. I would love to see that. Yeah. So Foreigner 4 put them back on track as far as recording goes. Um, That was, again, 1981. But come 1984, so three years later, Mick and Lou are still abusing cocaine and alcohol. And this really started to cause trouble in the studio and they released Agent Provocateur, mm-hmm. uh, which was their fifth studio album. And that one had even lower sales than their earlier work, but it included their best-selling single. Do you know what that is? Uh, I, have you already said I want to know what love is? No, that's it! Oh, okay, yes, because <laughs> I was waiting for you to talk about that song, and I was like, yeah. did I miss it? Oh, okay. I want to know what love yeah, so that's their best-selling single, and that was on Agent Provocateur. Like I said, the the album itself had lower sales, but that but that song carried it. <laughs> that song was their first number one hit ever. Oh, okay. I feel like I'm trying to think of that song is kind of maybe not parodied, but like just kind of made fun of a lot too, right? Like, or not made fun of, well, but like used in goofy situations, right? Yeah. Or am I just making that up? So a lot of people actually, even that kind of is a good segue into this next part, because even though that song was so successful, um, a lot of people thought that they were kind of turning more toward a soft rock sound and Mm kind of like more towards synth and like, Mm -hmm. you know, away from the rock and roll style. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I could see how people would think it was kind of like, yeah, not like hardcore. It's, it's like almost they're like not a rock cheesy. band it's anymore. Not, it's not really mm-hmm. cheesy, but it's almost down that path of like, yeah, like the oh, soft yeah, rock, like yeah, not quite a yeah, power exactly. ballad, but something like that, and kind of made well. It, it yeah, I think it fully was a power ballad, but it was less of rock and roll. Yeah, than 
some yeah. of the other because like they had some soft stuff on their other albums but nothing to that extent mm-hmm. right um but still it was a really powerful song i think i probably put it on one of the mix cds that i made for craig when we were dating <laughs> <laughs> before i understood that he didn't really uh care for that type of music <laughs> it didn't really touch his soul like it did <laughs> does mine <laughs> Yeah, so basically Mick Jones is wanting to go more toward that soft rock sound. He's like, hey guys, this is really working for us. Lou Graham wanted to continue to play rock and blues. And in 1987, Foreigner released their sixth album, Inside Information, which it went platinum, but the band's sales had really started to plummet and Mick and Lou were falling out of sync. They weren't working well together. Lou said that Mick was rejecting, like, most of his ideas, so he would try to collaborate, and Mick would just be like, no, we're going to do it this way. I want you to sing it this way. And even some of the the lyrics that he would write, uh, because he's British, he would say say things a certain way, and Lou would be like, hey, we don't, <laughs> like, we don't say it like that in America. We'll say it like this. And he's like, no, you're going to sing it the way I wrote it. And so it really was turning more into like a a dictatorship instead of a collaboration. That same year, 1987, Lou Graham released a solo album, including his hit Midnight Blue, which I think was kind of a jab to to Mick Jones because they're supposed to be in this together. Yeah. But I, I think that Mick Jones also did some solo work, um, but I don't know if anything ever really came of that. But in 1990, Lou Graham quit the band, and he was quickly replaced with Johnny Edwards. And Foreigner released Unusual Heat in 1991. There were no notable singles on this album, and fans were pissed because they replaced Lou Graham, and nobody cared for Johnny Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually... Mick and Lou resolved their differences, they agreed to make a fresh start, and they got back in the studio and in 1994 released their next album, Mr. Moonlight. And Mr. Moonlight was supposed to be their comeback album, but it was actually their worst selling (laughs) album to date. So again, no no notable singles on that. But I mean, what do you expect? It's like these guys are not getting... They're not getting along, and then one of them quits the band, and then they resolve, and they get back together. It's still not... Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to be magical. But this is where it gets kind of, like, into a, a crazy part. So by 1997, Lou had quit cocaine and alcohol, so the singer was sober. And he had found God. He attributed his Christianity to getting him clean and sober, and at the age of 46, he was in peak physical condition and training with his bodyguard daily. So he's doing really well for himself. It was around this time that he started to experience severe headaches, memory loss, bouts of blurred vision, and blackouts. And so he went and had an MRI done, and they found out that he had an egg-sized tumor in the frontal lobe of his brain called a craniopharyngioma. And this is a benign tumor that he had basically been born with because initially when he heard the news, he was like, Ugh, all that sex, drugs, and rock and roll caught up with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is what I get. But 
really it's just hereditary or not hereditary but genetic he was born with it and it did just kind of slowly grown and then it started growing more rapidly and started causing his issues and the really really sad part of it all is that when he first found out about it his doctor had told him that it was inoperable and that he needed to get his affairs in order Hmm. and he didn't have long to live he saw a second opinion and was basically told the same thing so He's basically living, not knowing when yeah. is going to be his last day. Like, he, he thinks his time is coming soon. But, and this is where I'm like, divine intervention is real, y'all. <laughs> like, he, there was one night he was watching 2020, and it just so happened that it was a special on a doctor that was having success using groundbreaking technology in the removal of that particular type of tumor. And yeah, it was just like, so he's like, urgent, urgent, urgent. (laughs) (laughs) So urgent. I've been waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Everything applies. No, it's a hundred percent. So he called that doctor's office and was on the operating table just a few days later. And after an eight-hour surgery, they were able to remove most of the tumor, but it had been so, like, it had, like, these tentacles, basically, that were wrapped around his pituitary gland. And so in the process of removing the tumor, that gland was destroyed, and it was a very long, slow recovery for Lou Graham after that. Um... I don't know if you know much about the pituitary gland. <laughs> I can't remember what you show remember? it's in. It's like in a cartoon or something, what? right? Or where they're like learning about it in biology or something. Oh, probably because um, it's <laughs> it's the one. It's like a little pea-sized protrusion at the base of your brain that secretes hormones, mm-hmm. and those hormones help control growth, blood pressure, and energy management. And the thyroid glands, metabolism, and all functions of the sex organs. So yeah, I very feel like important little when, thing. with the I can't remember what it was. It's like either it's either a cartoon was or was it not Grease? Like, <laughs> like Grease oh. too? No, I don't. I mean, they did the reproduction song, but no, it's like something where they're watching like like an overhead projector, and there's kids in a class, and they're like giggling, and they're like the pituitary gland, and they're like because <laughs> it's talking about like you know sex ed kind of stuff. A little bit too. Hmm. Um, I have no. I don't idea. know. I don't know how I'd even look that up. I don't want to look up like cartoon sex talk <laughs> pituitary gland. Like, I don't know how I look this up. But Listeners, if anybody knows, if you know what she's talking about, <laughs> yeah, let us know. know. That was my only reference. I mean, also I did do science classes, take science classes at some point. But <laughs> yeah, we were in anatomy together. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We we were the ones that. So like in our anatomy class, we had to, we had to do like some really nasty things, like beyond just dissecting frogs. Yeah. We had to uh, dissect like a pig fetus. Mm-hmm. And I remember that one being like, okay, this is really pushing the limits for me. But then we found out that we had to dissect cats, like we feral skin cats. A cat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Literally skin a cat. And... Prior to actually doing it, Victoria and I, we were both in the same group and we're like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to do this. Like, we're not going to touch the cat because we just feel so bad for this poor little feral cat. And then 
when they actually brought the cats out, like laid them on the table, everybody kind of started cutting in and we're like, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what snapped at us, but we were like digging. We were like elbow deep in that cat, <laughs> skinning it, no, like pulling like, out its no. innards. Elbow deep in that cat, Andrea. <laughs> Is uh, that really not, bad? She's not wrong. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we did. Didn't we do something with like uh, hmm, I, like an ear too, right? I thought it was like a... An eye, a cow eye. Yeah. I thought there was something mm-hmm. with some kind of animal's ear. Um, that is the same Maybe. class related to this. The same class. <laughs> um, our teacher, Miss Thomas? Miss Thomas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Miss um, Thomas. I don't even remember why she brought it up. Oh, no. Why did she bring it up? She was like, does anybody know or has anybody heard <laughs> of the she... band uh, ABBA and Andrea, our little, <laughs> she perks up and she says, the Swedish singing sensation? And it was so funny <laughs> to me because nobody else really knew. I think maybe Emily knew who they were too yeah. pretty easily, but I was just giggling and it's like, nobody responded i don't think miss thomas was even like wow she was like uh yeah <laughs> like she she didn't even seem like impressed that he knew that either and i was just laughing at the way you said it like the swedish singing sensation like <laughs> it was the best uh, but it's it's related to this you know the oldies that we both were like <laughs> but yeah it funny. relates directly to our love of the oldies, and my awkwardness as a teenager. <laughs> There's just so much. Yeah. Uh, but okay, let's stop talking about that. <laughs> we could go on forever about all the weird things that we did in high school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so okay, back to a very somber. <laughs> I can't get elbow got... deep in a cat out of my. Oh come <laughs> Sorry. on. Uh, you say it it sounds so weird now <laughs> but it's true we were like yeah. tearing that cat up and we we're like we had no idea we we're gonna be like this into it Ugh. okay i can't talk anymore this is not gonna okay, work out i'm ready i'm ready so uh, okay. do you want to tell the listeners how this story is so interesting in relation yes. to you Yes, we know that Lou Graham had basically his pituitary gland destroyed, right? So he goes from being like 146 pounds or 140 pounds, he gains 100 pounds in a year because that pituitary gland is what Mm -hmm. regulates your thyroid and metabolism. All that is linked to your pituitary gland and he didn't have a functioning gland. So in 1999... Mick Jones called him. Now, mind you, this is like less than two years after his surgery, this grueling surgery that he went through. And Mick Jones called him and was like, hey, uh, hope you're doing well. Also, just a reminder, we have that contract that we signed before he was even diagnosed, and we have to go on this tour. And so Lou Graham was like, no, I I can't. Like, he was super self-conscious of what he looked like. He wasn't feeling 100%, but he didn't really have a choice. So he had to go on the tour with them. And it was not great. It was really, really bad. 
He was overweight. He'd lost stamina for performing on the stage. Mm -hmm. He couldn't catch his breath to even sing the songs properly. And he was still battling with bouts of memory loss. So there'd be times that he would forget lyrics to songs that he wrote. And in his book, I read um, some of his book, Jukebox Hero, which is actually a pretty good read if you want to check that out. Um, He said that he would have to write his lyrics like in big... Uh, letters on cardboard and like lay it at the feet at oh. his feet so he could look down just as like a security blanket mm, like cute cards like basically yeah but the, these are lyrics that he wrote and that he had performed mm-hmm. hundreds of times you know and so mm-hmm. it even got to the point that he was taking hits of oxygen off stage during like instrumental mm-hmm. solos just so he could catch his breath and make it through the concert And even though their manager did a good job of, like, getting the word out about his health issues and, like, hey, just, you know, be kind to him, the critics were still really, really mean. And they left some pretty nasty reviews. And one of them was like, man, he really needs to lay off the burgers and, like, pasta. And it's like, oh, (laughs) they only knew. Yeah, I was going to say, so so he hadn't told anybody, really, about what he'd gone through? He did. It was public knowledge. Um, because he wanted people to know, like, I, we're going to mm-hmm. put in the show notes, um, a, one of their live concerts from 1995 and then versus 1999. Um, I think the, the links we're going to put in there is like a, a concert in Mexico, 1995, and then, uh, part of their tour in Florida in 1999. And you will see a drastic difference physically and you can hear it in his voice. It's it's not good. And I just, I feel really, really bad for him on a number <laughs> of levels. But something that um, people may not know that are listening to this podcast is that I have something in common with Lou Graham in that we both had brain tumors. And mine, I did not have the same type of brain tumor that he had. Mine was called a vestibular schwannoma and mine was affecting my facial. So like the left side of my face was feeling kind of numb at the beginning of 2019. And I was also having some hearing loss in my left ear. Like if I was in the shower and I closed my right ear, I couldn't hear the water running. Uh, If I was laying on my right ear, I couldn't hear the monitor, the baby monitor that we had. Um, stuff like that. And initially when it started happening, I didn't really think too much of it because I've always had like weird health things. I was like, okay, this is just another weird thing that is happening and it's, it's going to pass. And also at the beginning of 2019, our whole family had the flu. I had Googled facial numbness on the left side and the Believe it or not, that is a symptom that can be caused by the flu. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is related to the flu. Well, it's still not clearing up. So I talked to my GP about it and she was like, you know what? It could be a vitamin B deficiency. So I start taking vitamin B supplements. That's not really clearing it up. Come April, I have my um, yearly gyno appointment, my well woman check, whatever. And I'm just kind of like offhandedly talking to my gynecologist about it. And she's like, girl, you need to go see a neurologist. And I love my gynecologist, (laughs) y'all. I've been seeing her for like over 10 years. She delivered both of my kids. So 
I'm very grateful to her <laughs> for that. And she's seen me through a couple other health things, but she is the one that urged me to go see a neurologist and she actually put in a referral for me. And so that was in April. I called the doctor and made my appointment. The earliest they could see me was September. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, doesn't really matter because nothing's wrong with me. I'm just being weird. So I go in September. I have my appointment with him and he does like all these dexterity tests with me. Everything's fine. I pass. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to order an MRI just in case, like just to be sure. And so sure enough, I go in for the MRI. I don't know if you've ever had an MRI. Those things are crazy. No, I would not. It was like being inside of a car alarm for like an hour (laughs) and they're so loud and there's Mm -hmm. so much clicking and you cannot move Mm -hmm. at all. And like, I'm not super claustrophobic, but I can see how people would start to kind of freak out in there because there's nothing to look at. You can't move. You can't do anything, but they do give you like this little thing to squeeze if you start freaking out. (laughs) You can be like, help. So uh, I was good. I didn't, I didn't freak out. I, they didn't even put me in that far in the, into the tube. So I wasn't like super uh, claustrophobic or anything, but cut to, I got a call and the neurologist is like, Hey, I've got some news and it's never good when the doctor calls you themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that from watching shows. And, <laughs> Uh, and now from experience. So the doctor calls and he's like, bad news. You have a tumor. Um, don't know much about it. It is benign. Thank God. Um, but we don't know if you're going to have to have surgery, but I want you to meet with this ENT and go from there. So I meet with the ENT. Um, he's neurotologist is what he's called. And I also meet with the neurosurgeon and they're a team that works together, uh, to remove the vestibular schwannomas and mine was on my left side, right? So that's why I was having the um, facial like sensitivity or numbness on my left side. And it was like as if you just drew a line straight down my face, that's how parted it was. And then they were like, look, because of the size and location of your tumor, we're going to have to surgically remove this. And I went back and looked at my records because I wanted to be able to give a, a size. And are you familiar with the Easter eggs, like the plastic Easter eggs? Not the regular size ones, but the mini ones, mm-hmm. like the little ones. Mm-hmm. So I think it was about that size. Mm-hmm. It On the MRI, it just looked like a, a cauliflower. <laughs> like it, it was like an inch wide, an inch deep, and then um, about an inch and a half long. So, I don't know. I kind of associated it with the the little mini egg because he said his was the size of an egg. So, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, we both have eggs. So, long story short, sorry, this is like a huge tangent that I'm going off on. But um, whenever I read this about Lou Graham, I was like, oh shit, like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had no idea this happened to you. And I know the feeling of coming out on the other side of that surgery and you're so thankful to be alive, honestly, but also it just like knocks the crap out of you. 
Like I was, after my surgery, I had an 11 hour surgery. It was only supposed to be like six to eight hours and it ended up taking them 11 hours, but they were able to save my facial nerves. And, um, so I don't have any paralysis on my left side. I do notice a difference when I, I see pictures of myself. I notice that my left side isn't as responsive as my right. And I can kind of feel it a little bit, but I think if you just saw me not knowing me, you would never know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I have this cool little scar behind my ear that like goes all the way around my ear. And what's really weird is that, so the scar is, it's still like super, super sensitive, but the top of my left ear is still numb, like hmm. still. And that was in 2019. So it's been like, what, almost three years uh, and it's still numb. Um, so for me... I know for Lou Graham, he had a lot of issues with like memory loss and stuff. I didn't have any of that. My main issues, like I said, were um, the hearing loss. And unfortunately, whenever they did the surgery, the type that they had to do was called a tra trans labyrinthine procedure on me. And it basically, they had to remove the inner ear canal, um, semicircular canals from my left ear. So I am completely deaf in my left ear now, and there's no like device or anything that I could wear to bring that, that sound back. So that's been one of the biggest challenges for me mm -hmm. is getting used to that. And especially like being in crowded places, I'm not a strong like talker as it is. I'm not loud. And so now, especially if we go out in public, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to like stand here and smile because <laughs> one, nobody's going to be able to hear me too. I have no idea what anybody is saying to me. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I'm completely down for the count, but it's fine. That was one of the, the kind of good things about COVID is that I didn't have to be out in public too much for the first two years after my surgery. Um, but that's another thing that I feel like is divine intervention is that my tumor was found in 2019 and I was able to have surgery so quickly. I had my surgery on November 5th of 2019. And then as we know, everything shut down in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. Had I just been delayed by whatever, for whatever reason, had I just been delayed by a few months, I would have had to go through that process being in the hospital mm -hmm. all alone. Mm -hmm. And that is devastating to think about and heartbreaking because I had my family there. My parents were there. Craig was there. Everybody was there to be with us. And um, those who weren't were, were helping us by taking care of the kids. And because I couldn't have, I wasn't around the kids for like the first month after my surgery. Like I could not, I could barely walk. <laughs> Um, I remember waking up from the surgery and the first thing I remember is having, I felt like I was like, like on the wall, like laying on the wall, if that makes sense, like mm -hmm. sideways. Like I know Craig was on my left and my mom was on my right. And it, it was like, Craig was like above me and my mom was below me. That's mm -hmm. what it felt like. And so when I would walk, I was using like this walker. And I was like, I kept like trying to like tilt to the right, I guess, to try to balance myself out because the vestibular nerve is like it, it messes with your equilibrium and stuff too. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, every now and then I'll like kind of lose my footing in like fall, not fall, but like just kind of trip a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's all related to, to this. Um, but as far as like long-term effects, it's just really been like a long, long, slow journey. I cannot imagine having to go out in front of, you know, just a crowd of people and perform. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I can't like even now I don't feel a hundred percent back to normal mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'll, I'll ever feel a hundred percent back to normal. It's just like it's such a, a strange thing to go through. But one of the things that I really admired about Lou Graham is in his book he was kind of recounting his his story and and how it happened to him and he was basically saying that when he of course he was scared. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're going to be scared when you get that diagnosis. Um, and his he did have some some scary moments where he literally thought this is the end for him. But um, he said going into his surgery, he really felt a sense of peace and he was praying all the way through, you know, when they put him down um, or put him out. <laughs> and thanks. <laughs> yeah, they didn't put him down um, when they put him out. But I had that same experience. Like, I remember being in the hospital, getting ready to go in for surgery. I had, Craig was there. My parents were there. And they were all, like, you know, really high, like, anxiety right. levels. Yeah. yeah. And I never felt that. And I I can't say why. All I can say is that it was just God being like, look, you're going to be fine. You don't need to stress about it. And I just, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than I felt at peace with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course I was praying whenever I went under, um, cause like, what are you, like, what else are you supposed to do at that point? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I just remember feeling very at peace with it and, so far, you know, the hardest part has really been the recovery. It's just been long and arduous and the kids don't fully understand what what happened. They just know that, you know, mommy had like a bug in her brain and doctors had to take it out. Now she can't hear in her left ear and they still will come up to you and be like, is this your good ear? Is this your bad ear? And then they'll like come over to the other side. And for a while they were like coming up and is this your bad ear? And then they would just like yell full on in my ear. (laughs) Well, if I wasn't deaf, I am now. (laughs) But yeah, so it's, it's taken some getting used to, and I know it's going to, going to continue to be something that I, I deal with, but I, I just wish that for for Lou Graham, I just feel for him because I've been on that side, the recovery side, and it sucks. And it's hard and it's painful mm-hmm. and you get headaches. Like I was getting migraines. I never got migraines before. And loud noises. I don't know. I mean, it affects me. I have to wear, because I only have one good ear now, so I have to really protect it. So I have to wear um, an ear. Like earplugs? Yes, earplugs when I go to shows and stuff. Um, I'll wear an earplug to protect my ear, but having to actually be on stage and the band mm-hmm. playing so loud and hearing that night after night after night, 
has got to be just so difficult. And I imagine he was having some pretty major headaches and issues. And so I just, I really feel for him at that time. And I know that that officially, that had a lot with him leaving the band. It had a lot to do with him leaving the band, Mm -hmm. which he officially left Foreigner in 2003. So Lou Graham is gone. Mick Jones continued on with Foreigner and even though he was the only original member left. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's like, is it even Foreigner or is it just like Mick Jones and Friends, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's not the same band. But he brought on vocalist uh, Kelly Hansen and the remaining spots have been filled in by like a bunch of different people kind of being in and out. But one of them that I thought was interesting is that in 2005, um, drummer Jason Bonham was, I think he he drummed for them for like two years with Mm -hmm. Foreigner. Um, And one thing that I meant to mention was that when we did the Heart episode and you were talking about how Heart did the Stairway to Heaven Mm -hmm. tribute, Jason Bonham was Mm -hmm. drumming Mm -hmm. with them. And I didn't realize that. And that's something that I and wanted to... And that's John Bonham's son. The yes. Drummer yes, from sorry. Zeppelin. So, and yes, he'll come yeah, up on Jason the next Bonham. episode also, funnily enough. Oh, hey. So. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's a really, uh, obviously, talent. It's in his blood. Um, and he left Foreigner only because um, Robert Plant called him and was like, hey, we want you to come play with Zeppelin now. And he was like, mm-hmm. yes, please. <laughs> um so in 2009, Foreigner released their ninth studio album called Can't Slow Down. It was a big hit with NASCAR. Apparently, NASCAR fans are like really into Foreigner. <laughs> um, so it was a big hit with them. But like I said, is it even really Foreigner anymore if there's only one yeah. original founding member? Um, I listened to a couple of the songs because they still sing the Foreigner songs, the same classics mm-hmm. and hits. Uh, Kelly Hansen, he's a good singer. It's not that he's a bad singer, but he doesn't have the range that Lou Graham mm. had in mm-hmm. his heyday. And he has a much deeper tone and than Lou Graham had. So they just, for me at least, the songs didn't really hit the same. Mm-hmm. And so it'll always be Lou Graham and Foreigner for me. Um, one last thing here is that in 2012, Mick Jones was rushed to the ER due to a heart attack he had heart surgery and was out of the band for about a year. So at that point, are they even foreigners? Yeah. <laughs> if he's not if they're in the all band. foreigners. <laughs> they're all foreigners to the band. Yeah. And not, but they played the without him. <laughs> not in the fun way anymore. <laughs> but he came back and Foreigner is currently touring. And even though it's going to be after this podcast is aired, uh, they will be in San Antonio on April 19th. I oh. didn't know that. <laughs> so if you're not busy you should go yeah exactly but by the time this podcast airs it'll have already passed but if you're going to that show or went to that show let us know how it was what did did you think of the the new lineup I can't even tell you who the other guys are because they've just (laughs) had so many switches yeah but uh for sure Mick Jones on guitar and Kelly Hansen uh Mm -hmm. singing and like I said he's he's good but he he's no Lou Graham I'll just leave it at that. So that wraps up Foreigner. Uh, sorry, it was a, a bit of a, a long one for y'all. 
and <laughs> don't apologize for telling your story. It's my story. I know. Well, and that's the other thing that has been super awkward is I don't know how many times, I literally don't know how many times this has happened because I can't hear them, but people will come up <laughs> on the left side of me and like start talking. And I honestly, I have no clue that they're talking to me or like if I have an order um, at, oh gosh, where did it happen the first time? Like Andy's Custard. Uh, I had ordered some custard and apparently they'd been calling me for a while. And this lady was like, ma'am, ma'am, that's your order. You got this. And I was like, ah, sorry. (laughs) It's embarrassing, but it's also like, how do you, do you just like walk around with like a sign that says like, I'm deaf in my left ear, (laughs) like talk in my right ear. (laughs) So I I don't know how to navigate that quite yet, but I'll, I'll get there. Um, Mm. Anyway, let's go to the One Hit Wonder Spotlight and wrap this baby up. So, I think you're going to like this one. My One Hit Wonder is Keep Your Hands to Yourself by the Georgia Satellites. Nice! Do you know which one I'm talking about? I don't want to sing it because I've heard my voice now (laughs) on these episodes. (laughs) It's just like the no huggy, no kiss. Yeah, and keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, I don't want to hear my voice again. But yeah, I know. No kissy. (laughs) So I always thought that was a really fun song to sing. And also, I always applied it to myself. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) can't have the milk for free. (laughs) You got to buy this cow. (laughs) Uh, That's what I told myself. Oh, gosh. I was like, that's why. But anyway, uh, it was released in 1986, reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100, and is the only song that I know by the Georgia Satellites, so that is why it is this episode's one-hit wonder spotlight. Yeah, it's a good song. It's going to be in my head now. It's fun. Y'all check it out. Uh, Hope y'all enjoyed this episode of Rock and Ramble Podcast. We had fun bringing it to you, and we will see you next week. Until then, rock out and ramble on. Thank you.